Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the BT Powerhouse podcast here. This is uh, podcast number 25, I want to say, um, what, April 23rd, uh, rounding out um, April here pretty quickly, but we're moving into the uh, the NBA draft realm <laughs> uh, pretty soon. But uh, again, um, exciting time for college basketball, exciting time really for basketball in general. Uh, the NBA playoffs are in full swing and really uh, a lot of action. Um, I know the Spurs and Clippers had a great game last night. Looks, there's a lot of great series going there if you're an NBA fan. But uh, but jumping back to the college world, a lot of uh, big announcements <laughs> over the last couple of uh, of days regarding the NBA, regarding um, scheduling, commitments. Um, and, you know, a lot of these are kind of um, a little bit undertones, but uh, they will obviously be relevant um, next fall and definitely going into the future when you're talking about NBA guys and you're talking about uh, um, guys leaving, guys staying, guys committing, um, you know, who could be there for four or five years, uh, maybe more, I guess. <laughs> but uh, the the big ones I'd see over the last couple of days uh, – D'Angelo Russell heading to the NBA. Uh, to me, that was a pretty easy decision. Uh, you know, a top five potential pick, maybe even higher if he does well in the workouts. Um, really a, a big hit for Ohio State. He was the guy who really carried them through most of last year. I know they were they were far from a perfect team, but uh, you know, there were bright moments, and he was clearly the, the brightest star on that team. There's going to be a lot of questions for Ohio State over the offseason, and I know we're going to talk about them a lot. But, uh, you know, big loss there. Not not surprising in the slightest, but uh, still a guy they're going to have to replace um, or at least try to uh, next season. Uh, the, the second big one was Karis LeVert coming back to Michigan. Um, guy who was projected on the edge of the first, second round, um, the beginning of the second round. Um, at one point, seemed like he could be a lottery pick, maybe even higher than that. Uh, the big issue he had was just that, uh, you know, he's injured, really couldn't work out. Um, I know people had hoped he could get back in time to work out for the NBA scouts and elevate his stock, but uh, clearly, you know, that must have played in to an extent. I know he talked a little bit about, you know, if he was a second-round pick, there's no point in declaring he'd just come back for another season. The one thing I would note about Levert is just that uh, he's a year younger than a typical junior, so he will be a 21-year-old senior next year entering the NBA. So not as not as much of a rush to get out, I think, with him. Um, for Michigan, obviously huge. A team that was already bringing back a lot is bringing back more now uh, with Levert. I know they're still in on a couple big prospects, but... Uh, 
they sure look like they could be a, a really good squad if, if things fall right, especially for Levert next year. Uh, the last the last one was, uh, not sure. Oh, two more. Uh, <laughs> a lot of decisions. Um, Petaway heading to the NBA, big hit for Nebraska. They've lost Pitchford. Petaway, they've they lost a lot for a team that really wasn't that great last season. Um, you know, they they played some people tight, but uh, really, I, I think they ended up finishing 13 and 18, which is far from a uh, an elite team, obviously. And to to lose even more, um, yeah, 13 and 18, and to lose, uh, you know, arguably two of your best three players and definitely your best player um, in one off season is tough. It's gonna be uh it's gonna be a lot of work out for the the Cornhuskers next year. And then the last one, which was about an hour before we came on here for the podcast, uh, James Blackman announced he's going back to Indiana next season, which is a a big boost uh, for the Hoosiers. Um, really a, a great freshman player. I know he kind of got overshadowed, maybe by Mel Trimble and uh, uh, D'Angelo Russell, who I talked about a little earlier, but uh, really a Good season. He he started rounding into form and, and one of the better offensive players in the conference. He can shoot it. He can get to the basket. Um, I know in his his press conference today he talked about uh, you know developing maybe more as a point guard, uh, his passing skills a bit more. But really the the one area I think he's going to focus on is on defense. Um, if he can get better there, he's a he's a real pro prospect. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be a lottery pick type just because of his size, but um, you know I don't think first round is really that crazy of a of a concept for him, um, and I think he can get there if he develops correctly, if he does pick it up on the defensive end and uh, elevate to that next level. But I think those are the big four NBA announcements over the last week or so. I know uh, Sam Decker also declared, but that was a, a little while back. And again, uh, Pitchford from Nebraska. But outside of that, hasn't been. There's still a few hanging out. There, I want to say, um, and the big one is is Yogi Ferrell. Um, you know whether he's going to come back. Uh, oh, I, I'm not sure if I talked about AJ Hammonds on the on the last podcast, but uh, he will also be back to Peru. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure that's as big as maybe the Levert or Russell decisions just because Purdue had a, a real nice backup in Isaac Haas. But uh, you know, clearly a great defender, a great shot blocker, probably the best shot blocker in the entire conference. So I don't think any Purdue fans are going to be disappointed he's back, coming back, that's for sure. And it'll be interesting to see how the minutes lay out for Purdue up front. I do you think Hammonds is obviously still the guy, but... Uh, it will be interesting to see how they sort that out. Um, yeah, I, I think that's all the, the big NBA decisions. Um, in terms of a little recruiting, uh, don't dabble too much into that in the podcast here, but uh, a few big commitments for the Big Ten in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Thomas Bryant, Indiana, really could make that post difference for a Hoosier team desperately in need of it. Uh, and then Swanigan, uh, Caleb Swanigan to Michigan State, who could also make a a huge difference for them. Um, really, it's been a big couple of weeks for the Big Ten in terms of recruiting, adding a lot of talent, a lot of depth. Uh, Iowa grabbed a JUCO player. Uh, Northwestern grabbed a 2016 wing. Um, Michigan grabbed a 
a nice forward for next year uh, out of Germany, actually. <laughs> uh, but um, Big Ten has been recruiting very well to start this offseason. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain that, um, especially you know, if Kentucky starts heating up and so on. But I think I think the Big Ten could be setting itself up very well for next season. Um, I know I know I talked up the Big Ten a lot last year, and it kind of underwhelms. But uh, when you look at how many guys are coming back, how many Big Ten players they're adding, there's a there's a lot to like about the Big Ten for next season, and it almost kind of has uh, an ACC flavor. Uh, and I'm talking about the ACC for this year, in that they could very well have, you know, four or five six top 25 teams and then a huge drop off after that. <laughs> um, you know, there are, there are a lot of teams more in the, the bottom half of the conference that I, I think could be really searching for answers, but the top half looks very, very good. Um, and it, it, it'll be interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of upsets just because I think you're going to have that big on balance next year, but that's kind of the sense I'm getting for how things are going to end up next year. Um, outside of just uh, MBA and recruiting um, decisions, the the big recent announcement was um, the Big Ten Big East Challenge. It will be the first one, and it's going to be played in mid-November next year. Um, the schedule has been released over the Lex week, week and a half or so, it's been leaking, but um, Thursday afternoon, we did get our first real <laughs> look at the full schedule, uh, when the games are going to be played, where they're going to be played, um, and I'll talk a lot about that in a little bit, um, but we're going to be joined by uh, Robert O'Neill. He writes for uh, Big East Coast Bias. Uh, if you have a good memory, he's he also contributed to BT Powerhouse in the past, but um, you know, he really found his niche over at uh, uh, Big East Coast Bias, um, covering the Big East. <laughs> no surprise there. Um, and he's going to come on and kind of give us a Big East perspective on what to expect out of the teams, uh, what to expect maybe out of some of the games. Um, and I'll kind of talk about the Big Ten, obviously, and kind of where we see these games sort of heading. Um, before he jumps on here in a couple minutes, uh, just to talk generally um, about kind of uh, how I perceive it, I thought it. I thought the slate was actually a bit underwhelming, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I think there are a couple games in there that that do you do raise your eyebrows about, um, notably Georgetown and Maryland, which I'm sure we'll hit first. But uh, the return of that rivalry is really good, really exciting. Um, there are there's at least three or four games in here that, in all honesty, are probably going to be snoozers. <laughs> uh, I hate to say that, especially because we don't know how these teams are coming in. But I mean, you know, generally, to me, there's this kind of a, a set formula. Certain things you look for in good games coming in, and there's a couple of these games that just have not a <laughs> uh, Not to Again, not to you know belittle any of those teams, but you really do wonder about how how some of these are going to shape out. Um, and uh, I am interested to see, you know, how the eventual result of the event, you know, who 
quote unquote wins or loses ends up. But uh, you know, I I do think um, there are a couple games in here that are going to be exciting. But it looks like uh, Robert is on the line here. Uh, Robert, how how are you doing today? Uh, pretty well, man. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Excited to talk some uh, Big Ten Big East Challenge. Uh, it's kind of odd to say, but uh, here it is. <laughs> um, can you uh, can you give some you know first reactions on you know, what you think of the event, what you think of um, you know just from a general perspective, and and plus uh, what it means to the Big East to be involved in an event like this. Um, I mean, I think whatever you do, you know, uh, conference challenges like this, I think it's good for the entire sport. Because, uh, you know, you usually you only get one or two games non-conference usually that are against good teams. I mean, you get your mid-season or your early season tournament, and then sometimes you'll schedule like a geographic rival. But it's nice to see, you know, two quote-unquote power conferences kind of going at it. And uh, I think for the Big East in general, it's pretty big because – you know, it's another step in the right direction for them uh, as far as getting some more respect nationwide. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about kind of the the slow start to the regular season in college basketball. I don't necessarily agree, but I, I do think there is a point to be made about November, the first week or so, being pretty tame. And, you know, maybe having a game or two that's actually interesting. And uh, to add at least, you know, four or five, uh, you know, or maybe more games that are really um, going to pull in viewers, going to get people interested, I, I think is a great thing for both conferences and for the sport. Um, but uh, but moving past the, the general storylines here, um, I figured that we could just jump right into these games and kind of talk about each team where you see them coming in and, you know, kind of what you could see uh, coming out of the game. Um, and we'll start with yep. the uh, arguably the, the best game of the whole event, which is Georgetown at Maryland. Um, what what should Maryland fans or the Big Ten fans expect out of Georgetown next year? Um, I mean, I don't, if you watch Georgetown this year, they're really not losing much except for Josh Smith. Uh, Devontae Smith-Rivera was going to go to the NBA, and he uh, – changed his mind, so he'll be around. And Georgetown had a lot of good players last year who, who as freshmen, really contributed, so they're going to continue to develop. And they have a pretty nice recruiting class coming in. Uh, I think last year was big for Georgetown because, you know, the year after missing the tournament, things started to get a little tense for John Thompson. But I think he had a big year last year, and I think the team did, and I think they're going to be right near the top of the Big East again this year, probably uh, top three. So it'll, it'll be a good game. I mean, everyone's calling this, you know, the big – best game of uh, the challenge, and it's hard to disagree. Yeah, I, I agree, definitely. Um, I think, you know, when you start out with the fact that you're reviving a rivalry, obviously, you know, it's going to draw interest. Um, and the fact that that rivalry wasn't happening to begin with is kind of ridiculous, but that's a that's a different story. But, um, you know, Mar- Maryland has a lot coming in this year. I know um, – they're on the top of my Big Ten uh, preseason rankings. I might I might switch it around at my rankings 2.0. But uh, <laughs> um, Maryland, you know, they have Mellow Trimble. They have uh, Jake Lehman and, you know, five-star ultra recruit Diamond Stone coming in. Uh, and they're adding a transfer uh, 
uh, Carter from uh, Georgia Tech, um, who I believe was formerly a five-star. So, I mean, this is a likely top five preseason team. Um, we know their home crowd gets up for big games. And when you add in its rivalry game, um, I think it's going to be a great environment. Um, I, I think Maryland probably comes out on top in this game. But um, this one looks like a, a you know a primetime battle already. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's probably – it is definitely going to be the best game of the challenge. I mean, just in <laughs> terms of talent, I mean, you might get a game with two evenly matched teams, but if you're looking for, you know, cream of the crop, it's, it's definitely this game. Yeah, I agree. And I, I know we'll probably talk about this in a little bit, but especially with – um, from the Big Ten side of things um, – Excluding Michigan State, which I don't know if you want to say excluding, but they're not in this event, um, I think really makes this game the, the premier event just because coming into the year, almost everyone is going to have Maryland or Michigan State as the Big Ten favorite. Um, and, you know, with without Michigan State there, all eyes are going to be on Maryland. But uh, but moving down to the, the second game of um, the first day of the event, it's a it's over four days for those wondering. Um, Maryland and Georgetown will be on the first day. The I, I don't think they've determined game times yet, but the second game we'll touch on is uh, DePaul and Penn State. Uh, DePaul will be traveling to Penn State. Uh, what what should fans expect out of DePaul next season? Well, DePaul's pretty interesting. You know, they got the new coach coming in, and uh, Dave Lieto from Tulsa, who was their coach last time they made the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, DePaul is still DePaul. You know, they're a bit of a rebuilding team still. <laughs> Billy Gaber, Billy Garrett Jr., very good player. Um, but outside of that, they don't have much, which it's kind of similar to Penn State in that, you know, it's DJ Newbill and everyone else. Um, but yeah, it might just be a matchup of just watching those two go at it. Well, uh, Newbill is actually going to be gone for next year. But, uh, um Penn State, Penn State will be interesting. Um, they're going to have a couple guys that they're hoping to work in. I know uh, Shep Gardner was kind of their young surprise guy last season. But um, hey, they're going to be a team, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to score, uh, to be honest. Um, they didn't – they sort of came on later in the year. Uh, they beat Iowa. They beat Nebraska. Um, had some good games. But um, it's going to be up to one of these guys to really take that scoring load for, over for Newbill. But, um, um, you know, maybe a guy like Taylor or Thorpe or, you know, someone like that can step up. Um, but, I, you know, it's – I think at least for me, um, you know, we, we did a, a roundtable, I, I want to say yesterday, but uh, – and you had to pick your most underwhelming game of the event, and I think this is the one for me. Um, neither team has high expectations. Neither team did a lot last year, and neither team really has a lot of cachet, you know, the name appeal that maybe an Indiana or someone like that that would have. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that's the second game of the first day. Um, but jumping right into the third game, uh, Nebraska at Villanova. Uh, tell us about Villanova for next year. Well, uh, they're still going to be the Big East best team. They didn't really lose much, and uh, they also have Jalen Brunson coming in out of uh, Chicago, you know, five-star guy. Uh, Josh Hart, the Big East tournament uh, 
most outstanding player. He'll get some more playing time this year. He was a sixth man last year. Uh, uh, Ryan Diak, Ryan Arcadiacano, uh, Big East co-player of the year with Chris Dunn. He'll be back next year. So they're returning a lot. They still have Jay Wright um, for now. I mean, I don't anticipate Jay Wright going anywhere, but you never know. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah Villanova's going to be good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I this game really didn't make a lot of sense to me, to be honest. Um, and, and the reason I say that is not to uh, diminish Nebraska here, but they are going to be major underdogs in this game. And I just – the thing that I never understand about these, these events that they schedule is why they put the favorite at home and why they don't put the favorite on the road. Because, um, you know, you – if they had put them on the, uh, you know, Villanova at Nebraska, you know, maybe they get a big crowd, you know, maybe they can really, uh, um, you know, put together a great performance, a one-off. But, but uh, you know, putting them on the road against Villanova, I just, it's hard to like their chances to come out of there with a win. Um, you know, the Cornhuskers are losing a lot in this off season. They're losing Pe- Tram Petaway. They're losing Walter Pitchford. Um, they're losing a, a couple of like uh, Abraham. They're losing they're losing some solid contributors and arguably two of their best three players. Um, and they already weren't an NIT team last year, uh, which really uh, this could be this could turn into an ugly game uh, to be honest. Um, but I mean, uh, Nebraska did has grinded out some games against top teams before, so uh, you know maybe they'll get hot in this game. But uh, Villanova. This is this could be the the ugliest game of the event, uh, to be honest, in terms of uh margin of victory. But um but that oh, yeah. those three games are the uh that's the first the first day of the event here. Um we'll jump right into the the second day here. Only one game on the second day. Um not sure how the scheduling decisions worked out in this, but uh um it's Illinova at Providence. Um tell us about Providence. Well, Providence, uh, you know, just came out yesterday that Chris Sun's coming back next year, so that's big for them because they lost to Dante Henton, who was the Big East leading scorer last year. But Chris Dunn was the uh, co-player of the year with Ryan Arcadiacano, so getting him back is pretty big. Uh, I actually like this matchup a lot. I think it's going to be a pretty competitive game because I like what John Gross has been doing with Illinois. I know a lot of people aren't huge fans of what he's been doing. I actually like it. I think this year Illinois will probably be a tournament team. And it's a good test for Providence to see what, how they're going to react to losing you know, LaDonta Hinton. Yeah, I think Illinois, to me, is very similar to the, how they were last year in the sense that they have a lot of talent, they have a lot of pieces, but they don't necessarily have everything put together yet, um, which I guess should be obvious considering they didn't make the NCAA tournament last year. But... um they definitely have talent. They have pieces. Um, they just added a transfer from uh, Charlotte, a uh, big man who really could make a difference with them uh, losing uh, Agu down low. But I think uh, they have all the guns. It's just, you know, can they actually convert on it uh, for once? <laughs> Not to be uh, too down on them, but that, that's that's the yeah. honest question. Uh, I know a lot of Illinois fans feel the same way. Um, just can they put the pieces together? They have them all. Um and I, I do agree. I think that's going to be one of the more competitive in terms of uh, margin of victory in the entire series. But uh, jumping into the third day, which um, we'll have three games just like the first day, uh, 
We'll start with uh, Creighton at Indiana. Um, what should what should fans expect out of Creighton next year? Oh, man. Well, Creighton, if you look last year, they played really tough out of conference. They beat Oklahoma when Oklahoma was in the top 15. And then in conference, I think they had six or seven losses by five points or fewer. So they weren't as bad as their record says last year. Wow. Uh, that being said, I think you know it's never easy to go to Bloomington and win. I think Indiana is going to be a very good team, and I think Indiana is going to win, but it's not going to be as easy as people think. Yeah, I think it'll be, um, you know, Indiana still has a huge question, you know, if Yogi Ferrell will come back. Um, if Yogi Ferrell does come back, they're probably a borderline top 10 team. Um, and everyone knows how crazy Assembly Hall is. Uh, excuse me. But um, that, I, th- I think this could be a, a really solid win for Indiana. Um, you know, as you mentioned, maybe, maybe Creighton has a little more firepower next year than uh, people are giving them credit for. But I think uh, – I think Indiana at home, um, a big time, you know, the start of the season, I think fans are going to be pumped up. I think the team's going to be pumped up for a big opponent. And I think uh, they're just, they're set to be loaded next year. Um, You know, maybe not like Maryland or MSU, but they're going to have a lot of talent. Um, I I think they win this one solidly, but but who knows? I mean, upsets happen. yeah, but, but moving down, moving down to the next one, um, Iowa at Marquette. Um, I actually think this could be a really interesting game. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think this could be probably a top three game of this uh, challenge here. You know, uh, Marquette's bringing in a lot of firepower in terms of recruiting. Uh, they've top ten class nationwide, I believe, with uh, Henry Ellison and some others. Uh, you know, it's hard when you have to rely on freshmen that early, but it could be a big test for them. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I feel like both teams are sort of in similar. I know, you know, roster-wise, they're much different teams, but um, I think they're in kind of similar situations where they're um, they're both going to be set up to be solid, but probably not great teams next year. Um, I think Iowa's probably going to end up somewhere bubble-ish NCAA tournament around there. And from what I understand about Marquette, it seems like, you know, assuming, you know, maybe one or two of the freshmen click, but not everyone, um, they're probably going to be maybe a little above that, you know. But uh, Iowa was also very good on the road last year, so maybe they'll they'll continue that. But I, I think this could be a, uh, a pretty balanced game and um, probably one of the closer ones of the of the entire event. No, definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah, they were good on the road last year, but again, it's just it depends how quickly the freshman at Marquette can click. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, that that seems to be the case for the uh, the Eagles up there. But um, let's move down to uh, the last game of the the third day, so day three. The last game here is Rutgers at St. John's. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on St. John's for next year <laughs> before we get to Rutgers? Uh, well, I think hiring Chris Mullen, I was a little skeptical at first because, you know, he has no coaching experience, but it's worked out well for him so far. I mean, they got Chris Obekpa and Rashid Jordan to uh, determine that they would come back, which I don't think they were going to under Steve Lavin. Uh, they've landed a couple transfers, a couple recruits. Uh, 
And really, Chris Mullen has put together a really nice coaching staff. He's grabbed some uh, assistance from Iowa State and uh, Kentucky. Uh, and, you know, I think St. John's probably pretty happy for this game. I think they would have liked a kind of more high-caliber game, but uh, I think they're probably pretty happy that they got Rutgers because they should be able to win. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that one. <laughs> um, I think uh... – and and again, not to berate this point, but this is another game to me that makes no sense why Rutgers is traveling to St. John's. I, I know it doesn't, you know, geographically it doesn't make that big of a difference, but um, you know, Rutgers is clearly going to be the underdog in this one. Um, you know, we talked about Nebraska at Villanova being a probably a solid win for the Big East to say the least, and I feel like this could be the same way. Um, I just did a a huge. Uh, um, analysis on Rutgers last season, and just some of the numbers are made. I mean, they their offense was their offense was just so bad last year, and the fact that they're losing like their biggest contributors from last season just raises more red flags. Um, I don't want to rant about Rutgers too much because it'll it'll get Scarlet Knight fans down, <laughs> but um, they do they do not look like a good team uh, next year. They they might even be worse than they were this year. Um, I I think they're probably going to end up around where they were, maybe a little bit better with a little more depth. But uh, just this one looks like a solid St. John's victory, to say the least. But uh, but jumping to the the last day, of, this is day four now. Um, we went through days one through three. Um, the last game of the event is going to be Xavier at Michigan, and as a Michigan alum, I'm excited to talk about this game. Uh, what are your thoughts on Xavier? <laughs> uh, I think this is probably one of the best games I could have picked to close this out. I think you know Michigan is probably going to come in as a top 15 team. I think Xavier, I mean, they lost Matt Stanbrook last year, but they're getting Jalen Reynolds back. They're getting Trayvon Blewett back. Uh, and Chris Mack is a great coach who no one really talks about very much. And I think they're going to start more now that he took that team to the Sweet 16 last year. But I think this is a really good matchup. I mean, I would have liked to see Xavier Ohio State, but – uh, Xavier, Michigan, it's fine with me too. Yeah, I I agree. I think matching up Xavier with Ohio State would have really, really been a fun game, especially if Ohio State had to go on the road. Um, and this isn't just my uh, you know, my my natural uh, uh, distaste towards the Buckeyes, I should say. But uh, <laughs> um, but I I think that would have been great for Xavier's home crowd, and I think it would have made a really exciting environment. Um. But, you know, we we can talk about that in a second. But um, for this game, yeah, Michigan's going to come in with a lot of firepower, a lot of weapons for next season. Um, and that's assuming they don't get a uh, five-star number two guy in the class, Jalen Brown, who could make a huge impact for any team in the country. Um, if they get him, I mean, we're talking potential top five team. Um and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because Michigan did make miss the tournament last year, but um, there are a lot of weapons. There's a lot of depth. Um, Michigan normally plays well at Chrysler. I know last season they didn't play that well, especially in non-conference. But um, you know, with a lot more uh, depth and talent, and hopefully less injuries, uh, I, I think this is going to be a really good Michigan team. Um, from the sounds of it, Xavier should be pretty solid as well coming in, coming off a uh, good performance in the NCAA tournament as well. I think, uh, really, I think when you put pen to the paper, this is the second best game 
of the entire uh, event. And again, not to say it will be the second closest game, um, but I think just in terms of uh, star power, quality teams, quality coaches, I think um, this is the game that's going to turn the most TVs on outside of Georgetown, um, Maryland. But overall, I think it's uh, they do have some good games. I think they have a couple that are really could have been a lot better. Um, but it does seem like you know a lot better than the the normal start of the non-conference season. Um, but but moving more towards uh, kind of what you think maybe this event could become in the future. Um, what, what would you have liked to see out of this event besides maybe Ohio state Xavier? Um, well, you know, we talked about Villanova playing a better team. That's one. Uh, definitely if Villanova is going to be, you know, the torchbearer for the big East, they need to be playing someone like Wisconsin or Michigan state. Um, I think another big thing is having Butler involved and Butler couldn't do it this year because it conflicted with the uh, Puerto Rico tip off that they're in. But you know, you look at the uh, Crossroads Classic every year with Butler, Notre Dame, Purdue, and Indiana always at the uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse. That's always a huge thing. So if you could get, you know, a Big Ten team playing in Hinkle, that'd be that'd be insane. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think, um, you know, and, and that's one of the things I know a couple of our commenters on our site, um, you know, Maryland fans were talking about, you know, they were hoping that Georgetown and Maryland would just play every year. And I, I think, um, to me, that's a start. And I, and I think just, uh, you know, establishing those marquee matchups. And I think that when that Big Ten ACC Challenge really started focusing on the fact that we're going to try to look in advance and not just take a stab at random teams, but really, you know, coming into this year, for instance, Duke and Wisconsin, you know, they set those two up to play because – you know, they both looked like they were going to be really good on paper. Obviously, they both turned out to be really good on paper because they rematched in the title yeah. game. But, um, you know, and not to say, you know, two teams from this, these two conferences will make the title game, but I think, you know, what you're talking about where, you know, looking ahead to, you know, Villanova and Nebraska might have worked out schedule-wise, but it's there's not a ton of intrigue there, especially when you put Nebraska on the road. Um and at least Rutgers St. John's, I will say, you have the uh, geographical factor. Um, but uh, some of these I thought could have been a lot better. And, uh, you know, you were talking about involving Butler. I, I think the big omission here is Michigan State. Um, you know, obviously there are a ton of scheduling concerns um, with other events and so on and so forth. And I'm sure, you know, I'm not sure if it conflicts, but Michigan State's always in the Champions Classic uh, at the start of every season with Kansas, Kentucky, and Duke. Um, so that may have conflicted here, but, uh, you know, getting teams like your top teams involved, I think really would, would take this event a lot further. Um, do you have a, a, any other thoughts on what you'd like to see this event become or change or, uh, anything added to it? Well, you know, it's kind of like you said, uh, if you're going to, you got to be more like the big 10 ACC challenge where you pick the matchups that you think the teams are going to. I mean, go with who finished similar the year before if you have to. And that's what they did for a couple here. But it would be nice to see across the board. I mean, it's hard when, obviously, it's only going to be eight teams uh, each year and you have ten teams in one conference, 14 teams in the other. But it's a good start. I mean, it's an eight-year event. We're not going to complain every year, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I might find something to complain about each year, but <laughs> but uh, uh, that that aside, um, 
I think, uh, I, I mean, it's a great step in the, the right direction. I do think um, just the more types of matchups we can get like this, I think, are better. Um, you know, watching, you know, Michigan play Coppin State or Holy Cross A&M Tech Institute of Technology, uh, <laughs> insert random A&M there, uh, <laughs> You know, it, it's not as entertaining for fans. It's not as great for TV. It's not as great for, uh, you know, people who want to show up to the games. Um, and putting real opponents uh, against real teams, uh, you know, makes makes for good TV, makes for people to get interested. And I think uh, I think this is a really nice start in that direction. But uh, thanks thanks for coming on with us, uh, Robert. Uh, any any final thoughts here before you uh, before we let you go? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered it all. I'm looking forward to getting it started. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I am excited to, uh, to see the Big Ten win this thing. But, <laughs> but jokes aside, th- thanks again for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. That was, uh, again, that was Robert O'Neill from uh, Big East Coast Bias to chat to us about the Big East um, coming into this event. I think it should be a uh, an interesting um, event in its first year. I think uh, a lot of these teams, it's going to be their first real opponent of the season, I think. We haven't seen all the schedules come out, but uh, that's how it looks, at least. Um, some good games, some solid games, and probably some games that aren't going to get a lot of people excited, but uh, it is it is cool to see uh, you know big conferences trying to at least uh, get fans interested again. Um, in these types of matchups. But uh, again, thanks for everyone for checking us out. Uh, my name is Thomas Bendit. Follow me on Twitter at tbendit. Um, I have a web, you know, more coverage on this event as we get closer, obviously. Um, but thanks again for checking us out.